I sincerely mean that. Like, I do not want what we're doing here to be disconnected from anybody. I don't want it to be for the people who are actually into it or the people who have been here for a while, whether this is your first time or your thousandth time, whether you're on staff, volunteering, LDPs, or you're just checking out our church to see if this is a space that you belong. Man, I just want us collectively to have an encounter with the Spirit of God where lives are changed, and I want to be included in on that. The great thing is we've seen God do it before, and we believe if we're available, we're going to see him do it again. Last couple of weeks have been special as we've started this brand new sermon series in the Gospel of Luke that we're titling The Invitation of Jesus. The idea is if we can see and hear what we are invited to when Jesus invites us to follow him, if we can see that for what it actually is, not be blinded by all the lies that culture and the enemy would tell us about how much we're missing out and how much it costs to follow Jesus and, and, and what, you're really, what your life is really going to look like and get through all the allusions to the truth of when Jesus calls us to follow him, what he really means by that and what our lives could really look like, we're going to be changed. So every week we come before the word of God. We go, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. I don't want to be the soil that gets snatched up. I don't want to just hear a message that resonates with me and move on with my week. No, we want the word of God to fall on fertile ground where fruit is going to be born. And we said last week that a lifestyle of fruit looks like a lifestyle of obedience. If you come to ACC for any amount of time, we will talk over and over and over again about how it's not enough to hear the word. We have to do it. We have to obey it. And the cool thing that I'm noticing is that there are a lot of people for the first time in their lives who are actually down to say yes to that, who are like, all right, I'm done with passing the time in church. I'm done with just saying that I'm a Christian. Like I'm legitimately going to fully engage. And I'm sorry, I'm trying to make eye contact with these people. And this mic is just bothering me because I'm like, I want to look you in the eye. So we're going we're gonna to pretend like this is the keyboard player's mic. Caleb, if you want to sing later, you can. But I want to be able to see y'all. Y'all can't hide behind that microphone over there. I'm talking to this corner right over here. Everybody's got to see me, okay? The great thing that I'm noticing is that people are actually going, yes, I'm, I'm in. I don't want to just listen. I want to do it. But like, what are we doing? I got that question last week in a voice memo, which I like better than having to text out. I love voice memo. Like, I'm like, I just say it out loud, send it to you. You can get with it on your own time. I love it. Love it. Somebody was like, okay, Miles, I'm in. But like, what, what do we mean? What, what are we doing on the other side of giving Jesus our yes? Because obey what he said, that's pretty overwhelming to think about 66 books across multiple centuries written by multiple different writers and all kind of meanings and scholars who argue about stuff. Like when we say we're going to obey the word of God, what are we saying? And yes, we believe every page of scripture is alive and active and able to teach us and able to, to shape our lives. But this message today is going to connect with the last couple of weeks. If you missed the last couple of weeks, you got to check those out so you know where I'm coming from today. Because the answer to that question of I'm in what does that mean for me? The answer to that question is that we live our lives following what Jesus taught and emulating the way Jesus lived. That's what we're doing. So when you surrender to Jesus, what you're saying is, I believe he died. I believe he rose. I believe his spirit fills me when I come to him for a relationship with him. And now I have a father in heaven who I can come to, who I can pray to, who I can relate to. But what you're ultimately signing up for is the, what Jesus taught and the way he lived his life, that becomes the way you live your life. And that's not to say that 
Things that other people taught are not what Jesus taught. No, Jesus is the living word of God. Everything the Bible says, Jesus says through and through. But in a simplistic note, we could say you look at the teachings of Jesus and you look at the way he lived his life. And as a follower of Jesus, where he's your rabbi, you're a disciple, you learn to allow him to live his life from the inside out in you. So now we must ask the question, what were some of the things that Jesus taught the most explicitly, like clearly, and lived out the most consistently. And I would argue today, if you ask the question, what did Jesus teach about the most clearly, combined with what did he live out most consistently, you could sum it up in one word. We'll put it on the screen. Prayer. Prayer. If we're followers of Jesus, one of the top of the top of the top things that we are signing up for as followers of Jesus is living a lifestyle of prayer. Now, I know immediately after seeing that word, there are thousands of different thoughts going out across multiple locations and definitely in this room. All the prayer warriors in the room are going, finally, thank you. We need to talk about this. You know what I notice about prayer warriors is not only do they pray all the time and most passionately, but like they just want to learn more and go deeper in prayer. Like, you would think they would move on to something else, but it's like, I just want to know more and breathe more in prayer. And, and I say that as a compliment because this church exists because of prayer. When people ask us, what is it about ACC that's so significant, that's so special, I promise you, I promise you, and I'm, I'm not just saying this. You might think I'm saying this to sound like false humility. No, I, I mean this. It is not the speaker. It is not the band. It's definitely not the venues that we meet at and not our style of presentation. It is that people have been praying for what God is doing right now for generations and in real time. And those prayers are coming together to shape lives. Those prayers are the reason why I'm still standing up here. I would be doing something else probably a million miles away if it wasn't for people praying for me. And I'm so readily like aware of that. But in reality, aside from our 5% prayer warriors and some of our prayer team, the vast majority of us don't get excited when that word went on the screen. The vast majority are immediately reminded of something that they need to do better at, something they need to do more of, and something that feels like more of an obligation than it is an actual joy. And so my goal today is that that word would feel different by the time you walk out of church. That you would not see prayer as this burden that you're not doing a good enough job emulating in your life. But you would see prayer, first of all, in the life of Jesus as the ultimate opportunity to experience the power and the presence of God. What is prayer? If someone asks you to define prayer in, in, in one statement, most of us would answer by saying, talking to God. But I would argue that's way too simple of a definition because prayer can be silent. Prayer can be still or moving. Prayer can be singing. Prayer can be reading. Prayer in a general sense, if you want a definition, I'll just give you this from the beginning, is lifting heart and mind to God. Prayer is when a human being lifts their heart, their cares, their affections, their emotions, their state, and their mind, their thoughts, things that come to mind in real time, lifting heart and mind to God. And it covers so many different forms and looks different ways at different times of the day for different personalities and in different seasons of your life spiritually. There is no way I am going to hit the width of everything we could talk about when we talk about different styles of what that looks like. That's not what the goal is today. But the goal is to ask the question, what did Jesus model and what did he teach about what it means for his followers to lift their hearts and their minds to God? 
And to do that, we're going to look at his teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Did you bring your Bible today at 9 a.m.? Did you bring your Bible at our other locations? If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up high. Okay, we're going to take a break from the single-person Bible drill. We don't have a 6 p.m. tonight, so there's nobody going to, like, throw stuff at me. But I do want to know this. I had a birthday this week. I turned 34 years old. And I was just, yeah, yay, 34. Um, I, I was just curious. If you are 34 or older, keep your Bible up. I just want to see where my people are at. Yeah. If you are younger than 34, put your Bible up. Nice. Nice. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. You know what's funny about that is that it's actually, and I hope y'all are doing that at our other locations too. It's actually not as divided as you think. It looks more divided because more of the young people bring their Bibles than the older people. Like, I got to grab some of you older people and go, I know you were turning that thing at your Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian church growing up. I know you were. No, you're like, Miles, but they gave us one. It was in front of us in the pew. It was built in. Well, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about that. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke is written along with Acts to reveal the continued story of redemption from Old Testament to New Testament. We've talked about that. But I want to point out that in all four Gospels, Jesus prays all the time. But that is never more true than in the Gospel of Luke. If you're reading and studying Luke on your own time, you're going to find Jesus praying all over the place. It's like he's fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's, he's praying. And then he has this major moment, and then up, oh, he's getting alone to pray. And then he's praying around people, and he's teaching on prayer. And it's like prayer, 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 prayer. If there's one theme from the Gospel of Luke that you would put on the list of what is Jesus trying to model and what is he trying to teach about, this would have to be first. And that's why this sermon is going right here in this series. Because we're coming off of we want to be good soil. We don't want to just hear the word. We want to obey it. We want to be genuine, authentic followers of Jesus. What does that mean? We got to do something about our prayer lives. And the great thing is Jesus modeled it, and the great thing is he talked about it. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Notice that in the Gospels. Jesus goes to specific locations to pray. I say this with no shame. And, and no want to, like, guilt you or anything. How many people in this room actually do that? And I'll make myself guilty. The only reason why I do that is because I have to go somewhere private to sermon prep. So I'm not pretending to be the righteous one. But if you counted the people in this room and all of our locations who go places, and you ask them, hey, where are you going? I'm going here to pray. Less than 10%, definitely. Probably less than 5 And yet... The one who we're claiming to follow does it all the time. He's praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, that's John the Baptist, taught his disciples. He said to them, notice this, most of the time when the disciples ask Jesus a question, he tells a story that somehow points out why their question was a bad question. He, he says something that kind of circles around the answer to basically point out, hey, your question's pretty poor, and here's what you should have been asking all along. But in this, in this instance, Jesus answers point blank. That should tell you it's a good question that they're asking. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 
and lead us not into temptation. Now, if you're hearing that in passing and you grew up in church or on a football team, you're like, is that, is that it? Because I, I feel like there's some omissions there. Luke provides a shortened version of the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bible in front of you, look at all those footnotes. The full version is in each one of the footnotes. So it's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it goes into more uh, below. But Luke is providing a summary of the Lord's Prayer, full version being in Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. What you need to know about Jesus' teachings is the moments that we see him in the Gospels are not the only times he talked about this stuff. And you'll notice that in Luke's gospel as he circles around some of the themes from the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount wasn't the only location where Jesus said, hey, here's kind of my core teachings. This is what he was going around telling people all the time. So this is a shortened version, but it's a version with some commentary added to it. Look at verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. It's a great parent. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amazing. So much could be said and will be said today about the verses that we just read. But instead of tackling this amazing teaching line by line, I want to, at the beginning, particularly for our audience in 2022, hone in on something that happens before Jesus says one word about prayer. And I want to get laser focused on something for a second because I think it will help the people in the room who are guilted by this message or who feel like there is a significant disconnect in what other people experience in prayer and what they are experiencing. I want to ask the question before we get into the teaching, and we will, why are the disciples asking Jesus how to pray? And it seems like a simple question with a simple answer because he does it all the time, and because he displays miraculous power and incredible teaching that none of them have. He's praying all the time, and he's doing miracles, and he's teaching. Like Clearly, he has something going on in his life. We want what he has, and so there's got to be some kind of connection between the prayer and the power. And, and, and while that is true, I want to argue that the deepest thing that the disciples noticed about Jesus. And the thing that we have to notice so that our hearts enter into prayer with more curiosity about what's there than we enter in with shame and guilt and recoil away. I want to argue that the reason why the disciples asked Jesus what he's doing when he prays is because Jesus had a source of strength he was drawing from to live his life that the disciples saw and desperately wanted. He had a source of strength. Have you ever been around someone who seems like they are drawing from a well that you wish you had access to. 
You ever been around someone who just like joyful, going through the worst time, still set on praising God, going through the best time and humble about it, raising their kids in a godly way? I'm not saying they're perfect, but you look at them and you go, you got some kind of source that you're drawing from that's producing a life that I wish I had. You got something that you're tapped into, some kind of a well somewhere, and if you could clue me in to what's happening there so that I can get some, please let me know. If you've met people like that, look up here. What do you think it was like hanging out with Jesus all the time? If you've been around people that you thought, I want what they have, can you imagine what these sinful, rebellious, young Immature guys and women were noticing in the Son of God every day as he lived his life. He had a source of strength. And and this is something that I read about while I was on sabbatical in a book called Sacred Fire. And I want to warn you about this book. It's for for more middle age. It's not for the crowd that had their Bibles up. It's for the over 34 crowd because it's specifically written to adults who have gone from nonstop energy to a little bit of apathy and unforgiveness and anger about what's happened in their life. So it hits, that hits around, by the way, younger people, that hits around 34, and uh, you need to be aware of it over time. But this book was tremendously helpful for me. Now, even as I promote it, I'm nervous because I know how some of you can be. It is written by a Catholic priest. We are not Catholic by any means at this church. So if you're here and you're going, yeah, I don't, where are the road, where's the holy water? Like, I thought this was, this guy's Italian. We're supposed to be doing a Catholic thing. No, we're not Catholic, but I also... Notice when resources are helpful in people's lives. So I I checked this one out, and it has stuff that I don't agree with. But his chapter on the Lord's Prayer blew my mind. And so even as I read it, I am not endorsing Catholicism or Catholic teaching. I'm just saying I read a book, and it benefited me in my relationship with God. I know what I believe about the Scriptures. Nobody get nervous, okay? His name's Ronald Rollheiser. Here's what he wrote. Cool name. He wrote this. We must be careful not to misunderstand what constituted their attraction and what they were asking for when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. They sensed that what Jesus drew from the depth of his prayer was not, first of all, his power to do miracles or to silence his enemies with some kind of superior intelligence. What impressed them and what they wanted to for their own lives was his depth and graciousness of soul. Let me just go up and read this part again. They sensed that what Jesus drew from the depth of his prayer was not, first of all, his power to do miracles or to silence his enemies with some kind of superior intelligence. What impressed them and what they wanted to for their own lives was his depth and graciousness of soul. There is a depth from which Jesus drew to have the energy, the focus, the compassion, and the patience to live his life. And it happened in the context of prayer. See, you, you can't picture Jesus in his divinity as just waking up every day and putting on his God goggles and going, oh, I feel like God now. Oh, he's fully God and he's fully man. And submitted himself to be a human being and experience life the way we experience it. He woke up tired He woke up encountering all the emotions and frustrations that we experience as human beings. So Jesus wasn't able to just go, oh, I am tired and frustrated today, but that's right, I'm God, 
So now I'm going to be joyful and patient and hopeful and purposeful and pay attention to people and be present, not distracted. I'm going to be in this God space so everybody looks at me and goes, yeah, dude, you're different. No, he had this source that he was able to draw from called prayer where his connectedness to his relationship with his father created the environment where a spirit-filled life was possible. And you and I are invited to emulate the same lifestyle. You have a source. And if you're tired, if you're tired, if you're frustrated, if you're going through something that's really difficult, if you're just here and feeling 10, mile, 10 million miles away from God, you need to look up here and recognize this. You have a source to draw from in order to connect you directly to Jesus. And that source is called prayer. Prayer is not an invitation into throwing things before God about all the emergencies you've heard about lately. Prayer is not just what we do before meals. Prayer is not what we do at the beginning or end of the sermon on Sundays when we all bow our heads and everyone's silent while we listen to the experts pray from the stage. Prayer is our invitation to a different source for living because if you don't have prayer and your source is not abiding in Jesus, your source will become yourself. And that's a dangerous place to be because if what you're drawing from separated from God is just you, this is what your life looks like. And you need to write this down. Without prayer, we will become inflated with selfish ego and deflated of spiritual energy. Without prayer, we will become inflated with selfish ego and deflated of spiritual energy. This is why prayerlessness is brutal and so tragic and so harmful to your relationship with God because you go, a certain time, you go a certain amount of time without prayer. Here's what happens. Two things. You start to get inflated on the source of self. When I say selfish ego, you think of like the arrogant jerk that you met in high school. No. Think the person who doesn't take time to make their life about God and now it's all about them. Being inflated with selfish ego means living your life like it's all about your comfort and your stuff and the outcomes to your stories and your relationships that you want to see. You're quite literally on your own. And whether that manifests itself as arrogance or insecurity, both of those extremes on both sides are called pride. And you live drawing from the source of selfish ego for a certain amount of time. There is an emptiness and a loneliness and a desperation at the end of that road that causes you to look around going, I am a Christian and I'm supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what is happening to me and why do I feel so empty? It's because there's a relationship between how inflated you are with selfish ego and how deflated you are of spiritual energy. So if you feel like you got nothing, you're waking up in the morning going, I... I don't know what it would take for me to be motivated to be kind today. I don't know what it would take for me to pay attention to the things of God. I know I feel more than anything deflated and empty. That is a symptom of prayerlessness. It means you're not drawing strength from the source you were called into. And so you're living all day trying to pour out what's emptied. And God, the source is readily available. The space just hasn't been created. See, everybody talks about the power of prayer. This is going to sound so bad when I say it, so stay with me. There is no power in prayer if God is not involved. So it's not really prayer that's where the power is. It's prayer that creates the space for the one with the power to pour it out. Not a magic formula, not a genie. No, no, relational God. You have as much of God as you're willing to make room for 
And prayer is the space that you create to go, God, here's what I've made for you to inhabit. And I just know in our lives right now, God would so much rather us create that space than do one more day of construction on Hamilton Road and build a house for him right down the road. That, like, like prayer is the space that he wants to fill and it's available for you and it's available for me and there is no more important rhythm for you to develop into your daily life than this. Of everything that you do daily, think fitness, think eating, think school, think career, think personal growth, think friendships, relationships, all these things are important and have their place in the Christian life. None of them outweigh the importance of prayer. And as I say that out loud, I am... I am not up here as the expert on prayer, the warrior who's going to show you how to do it. I am up here as humble as the most humble person in the room going, oh God, I repent and I have work to do along with the rest of us. So even as I say, this is the most important rhythm you put into your daily life. I have a tendency along with everyone in here to instantly put other things that seem like they're more urgent and more important in a second. I do that. But I have to start this sermon saying everything I just said. Because if we don't get the beginning of this passage right, Jesus' version of the Lord's Prayer and then his teaching that's so cool on top of that will mean nothing if you don't listen to his first three words. Do you notice the first three words Jesus said? When you pray. When you pray. I have never felt more... Hopeless and helpless as a pastor than this week when I realized, oh, yeah, like 80% of us don't need to read the rest of this teaching because the teaching only applies to people who do the first three words. I mean, this, this hurts, and it hurts, it hurts me as bad as it hurts anybody in this room. Jesus stands up on the stage and says, when you pray, maybe eight seven out of 10 of us are immediately eliminated from it even applying. And I'm going, oh man, I, I want to get into the depths of hallowed be your name and what that means and what it means for his kingdom to come, his will to be done and forgiveness. I mean, that could be a whole sermon series for a year. Like, I, I, don't, I don't even know. We, we, can't, we can't even get to that because we don't pray. And if we don't pray, we're, we're not going to have access to what's right in front of us today. So my, my motivation today is both to teach that on the back end, but also to wake some of you up to what's yours. Because I believe the reason we don't pray, it's not just because we're distracted and lazy and have a million other things going on. It's because we don't actually see how simple this invitation is and how powerful the back end could be. The most powerful thing that I have learned about prayer in the last year is this simple statement, and you can write it down. Prayer is more about presence than substance. Prayer is more about presence than substance. There is substance involved, and Jesus is going to get there. But you can't get to the substance if you're not there at all. 99.9% .9 of the battle in prayer is just showing up at all. But the reason why we don't show up is because we put so much pressure on ourselves and on God to make every prayer time the most powerful, spirit-filled moment we've ever had in our lives. And so we read a teaching like this and we're like, I got to pray about the kingdom of God coming on the earth. I got to pray to God as my father and ask him for stuff. And, and, and I've got to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill me so that I can live this life. And it seems like when we say our father or dear God, the amount of things we could say is so overwhelming that we are literally tricked into paralysis. So we go, well, 
I would, I would have so much explaining to do about where I've been lately. And so many people have told me to pray for them. I wouldn't even know how to get into that list. And I just, and, and this is the enemy. It's, it's literally a tyranny of too many options. So you don't do it at all. Here's what I found out. Prayer is more about presence than substance. Something powerful can happen if you pray and get distracted nine times in 10 minutes. Because God is there. He's there to meet with you in your distraction, in your fallenness, in how overwhelmed you are. Sometimes prayer is more about being bored with God and just sitting there with him. Sometimes prayer is non-emotional the entire time. And I think if you follow around the people who are the most mature in their prayer lives, the more mature they are, the less pressure they put on God to make every prayer time worth their while. See, because prayer, like any other discipline you put into practice in your life, prayer bears fruit over the course of a lifetime, not over the course of a moment. So you pray your guts out for 30 minutes and you're going, that was awesome. I just said everything I've needed to say to God for so long. Oh man, that was good. And then you, but, but it's like your soul's out of breath and you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're trying to solve years of prayerlessness with 30 minutes of focus. The next time you go to pray, you know how you're going to feel? That tired in your mindset. The prayer is about the relational walking with God and what it means to pray without ceasing. It's not to pray all the time. and just, I never stop my prayer. Sorry, I can't talk to you. I'm talking to God. Sorry, I just talk. No, 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 no. It's not a nonstop conversation that's just you talking or him talking the whole time. It's a state of living where you no longer feel the pressure to make your connectedness to God look a certain way. It's more about presence than it is about substance, and it's more about a relationship than it is about a machine. So you create this space, and our, our vision is that ACC would be loaded with people who are prayerfully living life in God, and nonstop incense is just rising to the throne of God. Revelation says that prayers in heaven rise like incense before the throne. That's why when we sing that song, Worthy of It All, and it's got that weird part that says day and night, night and day, let incense arise. And everyone in here looks around like, oh, okay, we're Christian Buddhists now. I didn't, I didn't know we'd, we'd moved on. Wow, this is, uh, we're burning incense now? That's the thing. No, 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 no. Our worship, our sacrifice is God lifting up my focus. What, what is prayer? Lifting mind and heart to God. I have a lifestyle of walking in the presence of God, and I have been invited into more of him. Now, here's where we're taking a turn. Everything I've just covered is why pray. And I can't tell you all the ways this needs to be built into your life. I can recommend resources. This is a 40-minute sermon that needs to be like 40 weeks long. I realize that. But our hope and our prayer is that you would take the time and create the space for God to move. It'll look different for personalities. It'll look different based on how mature you are in your relationship with God. But now we're transitioning from why pray to what did Jesus say we should do when we pray? Go back to Luke chapter 11. Go to verse 2. Let's read it. Are y'all still with me? Come on, y'all. This just could be so powerful if we see what God has for us. He, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, now let's not let all of us get eliminated right there. Let's actually do it. Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The first 
inclination of prayer. I want to give you three things. When you bow your head in simple terms, what's happening? What's happening as your eyes are open and you're walking? Three things are happening. The first one I want to hit on is this. Be centered on the kingdom of God. Be centered on the kingdom of God. Did you notice the prayer doesn't start with I? It starts with our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. If we're lifting mind and heart to him, prayer has to first and foremost be about getting our eyes off of self and back onto the sun. There's a lifting. There's a perspective shift. There's a part of your spirit that goes, dear God, oh, wow, I have become so consumed with self lately. And it's almost in a split second in your spirit where you're like, oh, it's bad, but it's so good because he loves me. But And we're going to get to that part, trust me. But it's like, I have become so consumed with my kingdom and my life and my story. And prayer is about, hey, you are a small part, one in seven, eight billion people on the planet right now in a small section of human history and a story that's been happening from the beginning of time. When you lift mind and heart to God, you suddenly feel real small and it's a good thing. I want to be centered on the fact that your kingdom is spreading on the earth, and I am a participant in your kingdom. There is a king of the universe. It's not me. It's not you. It's Jesus. And so prayer is bowing our hearts in humble submission, going, you're in your rightful place, and I'm in mine. I'm the one bowed. You're the one enthroned. I'm the one praising. You're the one receiving. And this is the peace of God that could fill you. We rush into prayer so oftentimes with so much to say about ourselves. If I read old journals, and I've got all my old journals going all the way back to like processing something that happened at a skating party when I was in second grade. Like I'm a big journaler. I'm all about journaling, okay? That was a big deal. Colleen Chauncey, rejection. I can't believe I just said her name. Delete that. From, uh, she's probably married, moved on, whatever. But, but I, I dealt with something in second grade, and I don't know if I've ever been honest about that or if you've ever heard that name, but we'll deal with that later. Whoa! Come back. This is awesome. If I go back and read my journals, I know the state of my soul from how many times I look at the page and see I. Not that God doesn't want to hear about you. He does, trust me. But it's like, man, when when my prayers become so self-centered that it's just... I, 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 and I'm so consumed with, I have this need, and I have this thought, and I have this emotion, and I have this reason for believing that you're separated from me, and I, and I, and I. There's some kind of power that's void of that. But when I look back at journals, and they start with you, oh, man, I'm like, my head's in the right space in that moment. God, you are holy. God, you are worthy. God, you are the one who's in total control of my story and my future. God, you, your kingdom come. Oh, man, if this, this is not about you joining in with everything I've got going on. This is about me joining you with all you're doing across the world. Sometimes I like to span in my brain all the countries I've traveled to, particularly the third world countries, and go, wow, God is still in that church we visited in Peru where my heart broke when I looked into that little girl's eyes. God is still moving at that underground church in East Asia. God is still moving in Hong Kong. He's still moving in London. He's still, and I like, I go in my mind to all these places and the different times of day that are happening. And I'm like, whoa, this is, you're doing something a lot bigger than my little life and little story. So what, what do you do in light of that? You proclaim the worth of God. That's what worship is, by the way. It's giving worth, ascribing value to God. So prayer is about worship. 
And prayer is about how do I get my heart and mind in a position of humble submission that says, God, you're on the throne, I'm not. Hallowed be your name. That doesn't need to be a weird term that sounds like Halloween. We need to use that term more often. What does it mean to hallow the name of God? It means, God, cause your name to be seen as holy, as worthy. Cause your glory to be on display among the nations, God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be centered on the kingdom of God. But watch this. You don't stop there. That's number one. Number two is this. Be secured in the love of the Father. Be secured in the love of the Father. What does he go on to say? Right after that section on the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells a story that seems like it means one thing but means something totally different. He told that story about the guest coming to your house late at night. And he says, let's say you have someone over and and you don't have anything to feed them. That's a big deal in the ancient Uh, Jewish world because their number one character trait for how to treat people from out of town was hospitality. That's actually what Abraham was known for and what set the people of God apart. So you always have food. You always have something. That's why when Elijah Elijah went to that widow, she's like, "I, I, I will give you the last of what I have because they're all about treating guests well. So he goes, you don't have bread. So you go to your neighbor and you knock on his door. Well, back then, the houses that Jesus is talking about in this story, everyone would sleep in the same room. So you're talking about a mom and a dad, maybe four or five kids all asleep in the same place. Someone knocking on your door. You think you would be annoyed in Auburn, Alabama? You'd be about to lose your mind in ancient Palestine. <laughs> stop it right now. You stop. Go away. I need bread. I got somebody over. And, and Jesus is like, now that guy, he might not give you bread because you're friends and you're neighbors. But he'll probably give you bread if you annoy him enough. That's literally the story. And you walk away from that and you're going, okay, so the application is annoy God until he gives me what I want? Like, is that, is that the thing we're getting to? Like, if, you, if I go to God enough times and bother him and pull him? No, Jesus starts with that story because of what he builds on top of it. He's building these examples from our everyday lives among evil, sinful human beings. And then he's going to show you what it would look like for you to walk in relationship to a perfect heavenly father. Watch this, verse 10. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he builds off of that example about persistence, about just think about it. If you ask enough times, you tend to get the attention of the person you're talking to. And, and oh yeah, you're not talking to your neighbor who would rather sleep. You're talking to God who is your father. And so Jesus goes, which of you fathers? I picture him looking around at the dads in the room going, if your son asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? The funny thing about this is I know some dads in this room who would go, I mean, it'd be kind of funny, but... Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I was just thinking of Will Herring once again, two times in one, in one sitting. But it's like Jesus is like, no, it, 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 the ask is going to be in proportion to what is given. And you're fallen by sin. How much more is your father leaned in toward you? In other words, when you come to God in prayer, yes, you need to be centered on the fact that it's his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it starts with our father in heaven. 
as you're remembering that he is a part and building a kingdom that you get to join in on, you remember that you're not a servant in the outhouse who comes up for requests every once in a while. You're a son or a daughter bought by the blood of Jesus invited into the presence of God. So God's not up there going, all right, you got an explanation for lately. God's up there. You're under the blood of Jesus. You come into his presence The best dads in this room don't hold a candle to how much our father's heart is inclined toward us. He is leaned in. He is listening. He's not waiting for an apology. Think about the prodigal son, which we'll get to later in Luke in this series. The father doesn't let the son give the apology. He interrupts it. Why? Because he wants your presence more than he wants the substance of the prayer. You come because you're my child. You're mine. The story of the gospel The story of prayer is not earn your way into the presence of God. It's you were wanted there from the beginning of time, and God made a way for you to be there. Because of the blood of Jesus, every time you utter the words, Father, the God of the universe is reminding you, still true, I'm still your dad. And just as I was well pleased with my son, his life took the place of your life, I am well pleased with you. Bring your requests, bring your anxiety, bring your frustration, bring your asks. I'll say no to the ones you don't need, and I'll definitely say yes to the ones you lean in for that are in line with my kingdom purposes. But more than anything, come. I'm your dad. I'm the ruler of the universe, and you have unlimited access to me. So, so on the one hand, you're like, I'm, I'm letting God's love fill me. And on the other hand, you're letting God's purposes focus you. So God's purpose in the world focuses you, but God's love has to be the source with which we are filled. And John 15 teaches us we got to abide in the love that God has for us. Not the love we have for God, but the love that's already yours in Christ Jesus. Prayer is your daily invitation to remember how much God loves you. Oh, that is so different than thinking of it as it's that thing I got to do on top of the million other things I got to do. No, prayer is an open invitation from the God of the universe going, just want to remind you, still my child. I'm still in total control in writing the story, and I still want a relationship with you in the process, and I want us to talk, and I want to commune with you. I want to dine with you. I want to live my life in your life. Be centered on the kingdom of God. Be secured in the love of the Father. And number three, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've preached what I'm about to preach probably four or five times in the last couple of years, and I'm going to do it again right now because I think this is so cool. Jesus ends his teaching on prayer with an analogy that is supposed to connect how a father gives his kids with specific gifts to how God wants to gift you individually. Read it, read it. We'll read it again. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, pay attention to this, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is Jesus secretly, somewhat discreetly, telling you, hey, if kids ask their dads for gifts that they want, You should know what to be asking God for when you come before him in prayer. Because I'm telling you right here. 
If fathers know how to give good gifts to their kids, take that phrase, good gifts, things you really want. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? But that's not what he said. He said, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, when you pray, the chief aim of what you're after is a fresh filling of the power of the Holy Spirit. And you might be here and be like, well, I thought the Holy Spirit filled me the moment I, I believed in God. Yes, absolutely, he does. But did you know it's possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit but deflated of spiritual energy? It's how the vast majority of us live every day. Being filled by God at salvation is not the same thing as being filled by God daily for his purposes in the world. That's why Ephesians 5 says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what that phrase means? It means be being filled, always present, always happening. So when you come before God in prayer, you're coming before him, centered on his kingdom, secure in your place in the family, but you're coming with a goal, with an aim. And that goal, yes, you can turn over to God everything you want to ask him about. Yes, you can ask him to bless you. Yes, you can ask him to heal someone in your family. Yes, you can ask him for direction about his will. Yes, you can ask for wisdom. All of those are great asks. But in the back of your mind, always have this going back there. I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I need it. And if you're here today and you're going, I would love to have that because I haven't had that in years. Good news. The present is always the best time to offer your next prayer. And your next prayer should be, fill me, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We understand God is Father. We understand Son of God. But this one, Holy Spirit feels more like an it than a he. But I'm telling you, Holy Spirit is a person. And he moves to people who ask and seek and knock. And so right now, in whatever season you're in spiritually, and whatever you walked in here carrying, that's what we're going to do. For the first time in months, we didn't hand out communion on the way in. And that's intentional. If they did at your location, I'm sorry. You can take communion. Um, but, but we're not doing that today. We're going to have a time of prayer for you to do those three things. Center your mind and heart on the kingdom of God. Get secure in the love of the Father and know that you are loved and valued in his presence today and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. You can put your Bibles away. I'm gonna pray in just one second. Michael, go ahead and come up here, team. I asked Michael to sing the words of the scripture that we just read over us. So in a second, he'll invite everyone to stand and sing. But while he's up here playing and while the band's up here, all I want you doing is praying and practicing the things we laid out. Husbands, you can pray over your wives just like we do most weeks when we take communion. I think that's a great opportunity. But more than anything, I am like dismissing you into private prayer before God. And then we'll come back and sing in a couple of minutes. Heavenly Father, I, I cannot close this message without praying. I'm so fired up for the invitation and the opportunity that I get, that we get every day. I ask you, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, as we pray, as we seek, as we knock, as we learn how to be a people of prayer, would you send the Holy Spirit to confirm, anoint, and verify every word that your servant just offered in this space? Would you fill every heart? God, for the husband and wife who are next to each other praying that their marriage has a future, would you meet them? God, for the depressed, for the exhausted, for the burnt out person in this room, 
I pray that this time there's a fresh filling of your spirit. I pray that day and night incense would rise from the prayers of God's people, that we would ask, that we would seek, that we would knock. We pray to you right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go into a time of prayer, come on.